Chapter One of Book Two of On the Heavens by Aristotle, translated by J. L. Stocks. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jeffrey Edwards. Chapter One that the heaven as a whole neither came into being nor admits of destruction as some assert but is one and eternal with no end or beginning of its total duration containing and embracing in itself the infinity of time we may convince ourselves not only by the arguments already set forth but also by a consideration of the views of those who differ from us in providing for its generation if our view is a possible one and the manner of generation which they assert is impossible this fact will have great weight in convincing us of the immortality and eternity of the world hence it is well to persuade oneself of the truth of the ancient and truly traditional theories that there is some immortal and divine thing which possesses movement but movement such as has no limit and is rather itself the limit of all other movement a limit is a thing which contains and this motion being perfect contains those imperfect motions which have a limit and a goal having itself no beginning or end but unceasing through the infinity of time and of other movements to some the cause of their beginning to others offering the goal the ancients gave to the gods the heaven or upper place as being alone immortal and our present argument testifies that it is indestructible and ungenerated further it is unaffected by any mortal discomfort and in addition effortless for it needs no constraining necessity to keep it to its path and prevent it from moving with some other movement more natural to itself such a constrained movement would necessarily involve effort the more so the more eternal it were and would be inconsistent with perfection hence we must not believe the old tale which says that the world needs some atlas to keep it safe a tale composed it would seem by men who like later thinkers conceived of all the upper bodies as earthy and endowed with weight and therefore supported it in their fabulous way upon animate necessity we must no more believe that than follow empedocles when he says that the world by being whirled round received a movement quick enough to overpower its own downward tendency and thus has been kept from destruction all this time nor again is it conceivable that it should persist eternally by the necessitation of a soul for a soul could not live in such conditions painlessly or happily since the movement involves constraint being imposed on the first body whose natural motion is different and imposed continuously it must therefore be uneasy and devoid of all rational satisfaction for it could not even like the soul of mortal animals take recreation in the bodily relaxation of sleep an ixion's lot 
must needs possess it without end or respite if then as we said the view already stated of the first motion is a possible one it is not only more appropriate so to conceive of its eternity but also on this hypothesis alone are we able to advance a theory consistent with popular divinations of the divine nature but of this enough for the present chapter two since there are some who say that there is a right and a left in the heaven with those who are known as pythagoreans to whom indeed the view really belongs we must consider whether if we are to apply these principles to the body of the universe we should follow their statement of the matter or find a better way at the start we may say that if right and left are applicable there are prior principles which must first be applied these principles have been analyzed in the discussion of the movements of animals for the reason that they are proper to animal nature for in some animals we find all such distinctions of parts as this of right and left clearly present and in others some but in plants we find only above and below now if we are to apply to the heaven such a distinction of parts we must expect as we have said to find in it also that distinction which in animals is found first of them all the distinctions are three namely above and below front and its opposite right and left all these three oppositions we expect to find in the perfect body and each may be called a principle above is the principle of length right of breadth front of depth or again we may connect them with the various movements taking principle to mean that part in a thing capable of movement from which movement first begins growth starts from above locomotion from the right sense movement from in front for front is simply the part to which the senses are directed hence we must not look for above and below right and left front and back in every kind of body but only in those which being animate have a principle of movement within themselves for in no inanimate thing do we observe a part from which movement originates some do not move at all some move but not indifferently in any direction fire for example only upward and earth only to the centre it is true that we speak of above and below right and left in these bodies relatively to ourselves the reference may be to our own right hands as with the diviner or to some similarity to our own members such as the parts of a statue possess or we may take the contrary spatial order calling right that which is to our left and left that which is to our right we observe however in the things themselves none of these distinctions indeed if they are turned round we proceed to speak of the opposite parts as right and left above and below front and back hence it is remarkable 
that the pythagoreans should have spoken of these two principles right and left only to the exclusion of the other four which have as good a title as they there is no less difference between above and below or front and back in animals generally than between right and left the difference is sometimes only one of function sometimes also one of shape and while the distinction of above and below is characteristic of all animate things whether plants or animals that of right and left is not found in plants further inasmuch as length is prior to breadth if above is the principle of length right of breadth and if the principle of that which is prior is itself prior then above will be prior to right or let us say since quotes prior is ambiguous prior in order of generation if in addition above is the region from which movement originates right the region in which it starts front the region to which it is directed then on this ground too above has a certain original character as compared with the other forms of position on these two grounds then they may fairly be criticised first for omitting the more fundamental principles and secondly for thinking that the two they mentioned were attributable equally to everything since we have already determined that functions of this kind belong to things which possess a principle of movement and that the heaven is animate and possesses a principle of movement clearly the heaven must also exhibit above and below right and left we need not be troubled by the question arising from the spherical shape of the world how there can be a distinction of right and left within it all parts being alike and all for ever in motion we must think of the world as of something in which right differs from left in shape as well as in other respects which subsequently is included in a sphere the difference of function will persist but will appear not to by reason of the regularity of shape in the same fashion must we conceive of the beginning of its movement for even if it never began to move yet it must possess a principle from which it would have begun to move if it had begun and from which it would begin again if it came to a stand now by its length i mean the interval between its poles one pole being above and the other below for two hemispheres are specially distinguished from all others by the immobility of the poles further by quotes transverse in the universe we commonly mean not above and below but a direction crossing the line of the poles which by implication is length for transverse motion is motion crossing motion up and down of the poles that which we see above us is the lower region and that which we do not see is the upper for right in anything is as we say the region in which locomotion originates and the rotation of the heaven originates in the region from which the stars rise so this will be the right and the region where they set the left if then they begin from the right and move round to the right 
the upper must be the unseen pole for if it is the pole we see the movement will be leftward which we deny to be the fact clearly then the invisible pole is above and those who live in the other hemisphere are above and to the right while we are below and to the left this is just the opposite of the view of the pythagoreans who make us above and on the right side and those in the other hemisphere below and on the left side the fact being the exact opposite relatively however to the secondary revolution i mean that of the planets we are above and on the right and they are below and on the left for the principle of their movement has the reverse position since the movement itself is the contrary of the other hence it follows that we are at its beginning and they at its end here we may end our discussion of the distinctions of parts created by the three dimensions and of the consequent differences of position chapter three since circular motion is not the contrary of the reverse circular motion we must consider why there is more than one motion though we have to pursue our inquiries at a distance a distance created not so much by our spatial position as by the fact that our senses enable us to perceive very few of the attributes of the heavenly bodies but let not that deter us the reason must be sought in the following facts everything which has a function exists for its function the activity of god is immortality i e eternal life therefore the movement of that which is divine must be eternal but such is the heaven viz a divine body and for that reason to it is given the circular body whose nature it is to move always in a circle why then is not the whole body of the heaven of the same character as that part because there must be something at rest at the centre of the revolving body and of that body no part can be at rest either elsewhere or at the centre it could do so only if the body's natural movement were towards the centre but the circular movement is natural since otherwise it could not be eternal for nothing unnatural is eternal the unnatural is subsequent to the natural being a derangement of the natural which occurs in the course of its generation earth then has to exist for it is earth which is at rest at the centre at present we may take this for granted it shall be explained later but if earth must exist so must fire for if one of a pair of contraries naturally exists the other if it is really contrary exists also naturally in some form it must be present since the matter of contraries is the same also the positive is prior to its privation warm for instance to cold and rest and heaviness stand for the privation of lightness and movement but further if fire and earth exist the intermediate bodies must exist also for each element stands in a contrary relation to every other this again we will here take for granted 
and try later to explain with these four elements generation clearly is involved since none of them can be eternal for contraries interact with one another and destroy one another further it is inconceivable that a movable body should be eternal if its movement cannot be regarded as naturally eternal and these bodies we know to possess movement thus we see that generation is necessarily involved but if so there must be at least one other circular motion for a single movement of the whole heaven would necessitate an identical relation of the elements of bodies to one another this matter also shall be cleared up in what follows but for the present so much is clear that the reason why there is more than one circular body is the necessity of generation which follows on the presence of fire which with that of the other bodies follows on that of earth and earth is required because eternal movement in one body necessitates eternal rest in another chapter four the shape of the heaven is of necessity spherical for that is the shape most appropriate to its substance and also by nature primary first let us consider generally which shape is primary among planes and solids alike every plane figure must be either rectilinear or curvilinear now the rectilinear is bounded by more than one line the curvilinear by one only but since in any kind the one is naturally prior to the many and the simple to the complex the circle will be the first of plane figures again if by complete as previously defined we mean a thing outside which no part of itself can be found and if addition is always possible to the straight line but never to the circular clearly the line which embraces the circle is complete if then the complete is prior to the incomplete it follows on this ground also that the circle is primary among figures and the sphere holds the same position among solids for it alone is embraced by a single surface while rectilinear solids have several the sphere is among solids what the circle is among plane figures further those who divide bodies into planes and generate them out of planes seem to bear witness to the truth of this alone among solids they leave the sphere undivided as not possessing more than one surface for the division into surfaces is not just dividing a whole by cutting it into its parts but division of another fashion into parts different in form it is clear then that the sphere is first of solid figures if again one orders figures according to their numbers it is most natural to arrange them in this way the circle corresponds to the number one the triangle being the sum of two right angles to the number two but if one is assigned to the triangle the circle will not be a figure at all now the first figure belongs to the first body and the first body is that at the farthest circumference it follows that the body which revolves with a circular movement must be spherical
the same then will be true of the body continuous with it for that which is continuous with the spherical is spherical the same again holds of the bodies between these and the centre bodies which are bounded by the spherical and in contact with it must be as wholes spherical and the bodies below the sphere of the planets are contiguous with the sphere above them the sphere then will be spherical throughout for every body within it is contiguous and continuous with spheres again since the whole revolves palpably and by assumption in a circle and since it has been shown that outside the farthest circumference there is neither void nor place from these grounds also it will follow necessarily that the heaven is spherical for if it is to be rectilinear in shape it will follow that there is place and body and void without it for a rectilinear figure as it revolves never continues in the same room but where formerly was body is now none and where now is none body will be in a moment because of the projection at the corners similarly if the world had some other figure with unequal radii if for instance it were lentiform or oviform in every case we should have to admit space and void outside the moving body because the whole body would not always occupy the same room again if the motion of the heaven is the measure of all movements whatever in virtue of being alone continuous and regular and eternal and if in each kind the measure is the minimum and the minimum movement is the swiftest then clearly the movement of the heaven must be the swiftest of all movements now of lines which return upon themselves the line which bounds the circle is the shortest and that movement is the swiftest which follows the shortest line therefore if the heaven moves in a circle and moves more swiftly than anything else it must necessarily be spherical corroborative evidence may be drawn from the bodies whose position is about the centre if earth is enclosed by water water by air air by fire and these similarly by the upper bodies which while not continuous are yet contiguous with them and if the surface of water is spherical and that which is continuous with or embraces the spherical must itself be spherical then on these grounds also it is clear that the heavens are spherical but the surface of water is seen to be spherical if we take as our starting point the fact that water naturally tends to collect in a hollow place quotes hollow meaning quote, nearer the centre draw from the centre the lines a b a c and let their extremities be joined by the straight line b c the line a d drawn to the base of the triangle will be shorter than either of the radii therefore the place in which it terminates will be a hollow place the water then will collect there until equality is established that is until the line a e 
is equal to the two radii thus water forces its way to the ends of the radii and there only will it rest but the line which connects the extremities of the radii is circular therefore the surface of the water b e c is spherical it is plain from the foregoing that the universe is spherical it is plain further that it is turned so to speak with a finish which no manufactured thing nor anything else within the range of our observation can even approach for the matter of which these are composed does not admit of anything like the same regularity and finish as the substance of the enveloping body since with each step away from the earth the matter manifestly becomes finer in the same proportion as water is finer than earth end of chapter four recording in memory of mitchell edwards